Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Well, hello, Miss Sharon Pierce. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Sharon? Uh-huh. I'm actually doing great today. You know, uh, Lauren, my daughter's graduating from college tomorrow, and uh, she's getting out in the real world and getting a job. And Rebecca, guess what she's going to be? Nobody knows that Rebecca's on here, but I'm going to talk to Rebecca anyway. She's going to be a nurse. And she's going back to CRNA school. So, yeah. So, so Sharon, we've got another great episode put together today. And I kind of let the cat out of the bag, but right, we right, have a right. returning. As you said to me, do you let you put cats in bags? The last time I said <laughs> cat in a bag. Well, I learned it from you. So, you know. <laughs> So the cat is coming out of the bag. We have Rebecca Love with us here today, and she's been on before. Welcome, Rebecca. Oh, good to be back with you, Jeremy. Absolutely. And Sharon, why don't you tell our listeners what our topic is going to be today? Um, Well, I would be happy to. Since me and Rebecca met uh, surrounding the podcast. You mean when the fireworks went off and, you know, the sparks flew everywhere? (laughs) Yeah, I think I was privy to part of that. So, yes, I get yes, it. Yes, you, you were. You absolutely were. <laughs> and since then, she's roped me into a project. And we're so excited about this project. And we wanted to put it on a podcast. So, Rebecca, take it away. So, Jeremy, Sharon, and you already know, Sharon is my co-chair to launch the Commission for Nurse Reimbursement. And I think what happened, and let me just step you guys back just a little bit. What is the Commission for Nurse Reimbursement? But we're finally going to go for the full fight. We're taking nurses out of the room rates, we're giving them a billable service, just like every other healthcare professional that's out there, to stop the misalignment when healthcare systems say they have no more money for nurses because nurses are just cost to healthcare systems. We're going to change that entire mantra. We're going to change the entire financial model to allow nurses to have a billable service so that we can align the right amount of reimbursement with the right amount of uh, nurses needed to deliver patient care for a safe and effective delivery to transform healthcare so that we're not in these situations that's driving forward this terrible nursing shortage, this terrible nursing crisis that literally comes down to one issue, which is we have a failed financial model. And until we address that, Sharon and I got together with a group of uh, incredible other groups of commissioners who basically are staking our career on this to finally, after 100 years, get nurses out of the room rate and back into a billable service so that we can save healthcare and honestly, with it, the future of the nursing profession. 
All right, so let, let me kind of um, break that apart for just a minute. So right now, nurses get paid as part of the room, okay? Kind of walk me through that model because that's something I've heard of before, and maybe it was from you, um, but I don't completely get it, and maybe some of our listeners don't either. So, Jeremy, I think the best way um, is, is actually just to explain the history because I think the history sets it up very well, and it explains why, you know, this room rate concept. So... Back in the, this is 100 years ago, 120 years ago at this time, and, and it's important to go back in history because nurses played such a central role in the development of key political movements in the, this country. But right around the early, mid-1900s, women in this country were fighting for the right to vote. And nurses had primarily stayed silent on that issue until 1919, when they formally got in behind the women's suffrage movement and organized one of the largest marches in the history of the United States, led by women to support the women's suffrage women the right to vote. 1920s, women get the right to vote. And what takes place over the course of the next decade is the largest revolution of women's financial independence in the history of the world. When nursing at that time became the largest economic vehicle for women's financial independence in the history of the world. And why that was, was at this time, hospitals were this place of deplorable conditions. Only the most destitute would seek care there. So private families would hire private duty nurses to actually deliver this care. And at that time, nurses were all independent. They had their own practices. They had their own scope of practice. They issued bills for their services and were paid for their services independently. As hospitals started to recognize this value, they started to bring nurses into the hospital system to deliver care and hospital care started to get better. So what happened is that hospitals started to recognize nurses had a lot of value. And on these bills, they clearly broke out on the bill, hospital services, nursing services, physician services, all within that model. Now, as you imagine, nursing became incredibly powerful during that time. And hospitals, largely run by men, nursing was pretty much primarily 100% women back in the 1920s. They started to feel that nurses had too much power. They started to see the nursing services bills as competition to their model. So in the 1930s, insurance started to be developed. And what they did is they looked for a model that they could basically take control over the nursing services without billing for them. And they looked to hotels, they saw that maids were rolled into room rates and they rolled nurses into room rates, putting them strictly as a cost to healthcare systems. And they did this for one sole reason, to eliminate the value of nursing and all about, as you just messaged, Jeremy, all about the money. Um, yep. And I always and, and Sharon and I, I think are so fired up about this because we just wonder where would nursing and honestly women be today if this had not happened 100 years ago. And honestly, Jeremy, still to this day, it is only nurses that do not have a billable service of all healthcare professionals out there. So OTPT, respiratory therapists, MRI techs, dietary services, all of those are billable services. It's only nurses that have remained costs in the last 100 years. Well, we know who wow. we'd be today. Rebecca would be president. Another hundred years and we'll see that happen, right, Sharon? Another hundred years from now, we'll see it That's happen. That's it. Well, part of my role on, on this commission also is because CRNAs were the first nurses to obtain third-party reimbursement in 1986. So there is a model out there for it. Right. So so right now for our CRNA listeners, CRNAs are able to bill for their services. This is nursing as a whole. Um, it is not able to do that at the current time. But that's going to change, right, Rebecca? 
Well, that's that's what I mean. Sharon and I are in this uh, for the next five years minimum, right? Like we know that this is not going to be easy. We understand. To your point, um, CRNAs, nurse practitioners, all advanced practice nurses um, from like the 1980s have thought and have successfully been able to uncouple their services for reimbursement. And uh, the nice thing about CRNAs is we all started as that all CRNAs started as nurses. And I think they didn't realize that nurses were not billable until they went into advanced practice in a lot of situations. But a lot of their situations when they were fighting in the ICU for nurse to patient ratios, when they're sitting there and getting unsafe assignments and couldn't figure out why the CFO told them we couldn't afford any more nurses when they were consistently short staffed when they were working as floor nurses. Nobody ever told us in nursing school that it came down to a really simple, basic economic and financial model that did not exist. No, and, and I think this is part of the reason um, historically why nurses are not taught anything about business. They're not taught anything and that that money is considered a bad word in the world of healthcare, and especially for nurses. Because I think that the greater people that control this conversation knew that if nurses knew that this had happened to them as a profession, there would be no incentive to be a nurse, right? You're simply always going to be undervalued and 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 staffed the lowest denominator because you are simply a commodity and a cost to healthcare systems. Right. One of the questions I'm sitting here thinking of, which I've got many, but one is how, explain to me how and why this is causing, perpetuating the nursing shortage. How is that all tied together? Sharon, do you want to go first? Oh, no. I'm just hanging on for the ride <laughs> with you, Rebecca. Plus, I can't talk as fast as you can. I'll try to slow that down, Sharon. No, I know it's all those Northern versus Southerners kind of thing here. But um, and also, but also, I also think it's a really great place to be. Um, so why is it perpetuating it? So when you have this situation that nurses remain as costs and just simple business analysis is we know as business people, we don't invest in costs. So we cut costs. So what right. is happening is as the financial system of health systems becomes what they say more precarious, as they're saying, look, like financial, our healthcare systems are running on minimal operating budgets. We're only running at one to three percent. We have to cut costs. The largest cost of any healthcare systems is nursing from a workforce one. So immediately when you're saying, look, we got to cut costs, what they're saying is we're going to cut nursing. Now, why that's a problem is when they're cutting nursing, that means that they are increasing the amount of workload, the amount of nurse to patient ratios, the number of patients each nurse carries every single day and every single shift increases when they're cutting those costs. This is leading to direct correlation to, and what we know is increased mortality in worsening patient outcomes when you increase nurse to patient ratios above known standards. So why this is worsening the crisis is because without a reimbursement model, the truth is there's this misalignment between healthcare systems when they say they have to cut costs, that means they have to cut nursing. There is no other real lever for them to pull in this model. So what we're saying is when you get a reimbursement model, more nurses will equal more costs, but associated revenue. And therefore, that misalignment that currently exists in healthcare systems from staffing nursing because they need to cut costs, suddenly nurses add to the bottom line as a simply detract from the bottom line, which will help us staff safely. And more nurses will return to the bedside because they're not walking into a situation where, let's be honest, the environment is failing them. And now that they're criminally prosecuting nurses for mistakes of environments, the truth is the risk gets too high. Like, I don't know if you know this, Jeremy, but 
The latest statistics coming out is that the average experience on a 12-hour shift prior to COVID was six years of experience of a nurse. It has now dropped to 2.8 years of experience. Wow. That is the amount of experience a nurse has on a 12-hour shift. And what that, why that's so crazy is the average age of a nurse in this country is 54. 50% of that workforce is over you know, 54. That should be telling you that the average length of experience on a 12-hour shift should be well over six, seven years. But the nurses are not staying. We only have relatively young, inexperienced nurses who are entering at the system. And we need to figure out a way that this misalignment uh, corrects itself so that we can have the nurses stay at the bedside to provide the care that our patients need. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim. And most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557. All right, Sharon, can you tell us about the, the Medicare reimbursement and, and so forth for nurses? Is that something that, that you've delved into yet? We haven't really delved into it as of yet, but that's a goal of ours is to look at Medicare reimbursement. And that's how we initially came out with the commission. But we've been advised since then that we need to hit insurers to private insurers. Mm. I mean, we okay. all know that governmental markets are the ones that kind of set the standard. And if we can right. get Medicare, then everything else will follow soon afterwards. But right now, we are in the middle of starting this conversation, this conversation that has needed to be started for over 100 years. I mean, it's, it's, it's super complicated. The deeper we get into it, the more complicated it is. And, you know, sometimes the most complicated issues have the most simplest of answers. But the simple answer that we know right now is if we don't have this conversation and if we don't start this process... Nursing is going to be a profession that we won't have anymore. Mm -hmm. Not in the current form anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, Sharon, you guys are talking about, you know, this has been around since, I mean, really, let's just face it. I mean, they viewed women as property, you know, I mean, that's, and men ruled everything during that time period. And it sounds to me like, you know, this has just perpetuated itself, like it's a good old boys network. It's always been done that way. Now, my next question is for Rebecca, and you guys know where I'm going with this, because <laughs> there's always a winner and a loser in every system, okay? So my question to you is, if we're in a scenario where nurses are obviously losing this battle, Okay. They're not being paid what they should. They don't have the autonomy they should. They don't have the support they should. The work environment is not where it should be. Then who's controlling that and who's pulling those strings? Who's on the other end of that? Who's winning in this scenario? 
Well, you know, I think so. Jerry, just just one thing: they've they've tried to do this twice before in history. The 1980s, when DARG codes were established and CRNAs got practice, they actually had outlined reimbursement models for nurses in the 1980s, and it was shot down. Then they brought it back up in the 2000s, and basically the argument from CMS was: show us the data. Actually, we don't have a system to capture it because we don't have electronic health records. So now all those issues we think are, are sort of on the wayside. But who's winning right now by having nurses roll it into room rate? Well, I think the best example actually comes out of the state of North Carolina, where you guys are both based out of. And it was based on the study and report that was done by Treasurer Powell that basically assessed where had all of the dollars gone in the course of the last 10 years that we had given to health systems. And if you haven't seen this breakthrough report, it showed that $1.75 billion was given to executive pay of nonprofit hospitals. What that they actually found is that CEO pay of nonprofit healthcare systems in the last five years actually doubled. But what they found in comparison is that nursing salaries over a decade had only increased by a total of 14% or 1.4% per year. So who's winning in this model? The truth is, it seems like there is plenty of money out there. It's just been going to pay executive pay as opposed to paying the front line or staffing that correctly. And that's why we're saying we need this model, because I think we as taxpayers want to know that when we're going to a hospital system, there's going to be nurses there to care for us. And the interesting thing that this further study actually showed was that there was no correlation between higher CEO pay and outcomes of patients or their charitable missions, which I don't think surprises me all that much. Like, I don't think how much you pay the CEO probably leads to better outcomes. But I do know that based on all the research that the more nurses you have providing care and staffing to ratios that are safe, based on this, we know that better patient care happens and patients come out with better outcomes consistently. So where did all this go? I I, I think Treasurer Powell's uh, you know uh, initiative in North Carolina is the first of what I think he's expressed now 19 other states are looking into. And we think that all this money that they've always said there's no money for nurses. Um, the truth is, is we know that there probably has always been money for nurses. It's just always been allocated to other areas because they've never actually had a model to actually, you know, tie in our services and a reimbursement model to make sure that we were supporting this workforce accordingly with the work that was being done. Well, I think I know where Jeremy was going with this too. And and he is kind of inferring that maybe the medical model and people who work within that is where the money is going. But I would like to suggest that, you know, we can all be winners. I don't think there's going to be a winner and a loser here. And I think that's how we craft this. uh, And it'll be a fight, how we craft this going forward. Because if we can help this system and make nurses where they are not leaving by droves from the bedside, then even physicians, their patients will be well taken care of. They win, um, physicians win, nurses win, and most of all, and more critically important, the patients win. So this is a win-win-win all the way around. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like it is. But, you, you know, again, Sharon, when it, when it comes to dollars and it comes to um, the things that we're talking about, there's going to be a fight, and we know that. Mm-hmm. Um and and I'm interested because you're obviously going to have to have some semblance of political backing. And Rebecca, I think you, in what you alluded to a little while ago, CEO pay has been top priority for certain government officials and so forth. And, you know, I think if you polled the public and said, 
CEOs making, you know, a million dollars at this healthcare system and a nurse is making, you know, $60,000 a year, where should the, that money be going? I think the nurse is going to win. We know that. I think moving forward, the battle becomes, you know, where the political heat comes down on this. Um, and I'm interested in knowing, you know, I mean, both sides of the aisle are probably in some fashion going to need to support increasing nursing pay because nurses are the, the backbone of the medical community. I mean, you know, I think about my daughter who's graduating from nursing school, you know, starting out at 22 years old, but she wasn't in a generation like, you know, some nurses were brought up in where they're going to work 40 or 50 hours a week to feed their family and do what they need to do. And they're going to work. And this generation is not like that. And they are not going to put up with what nurses have for the last 40 or 50 years. So I think, you know, as I'm listening to this, there's also got to be a new model for nursing. There's got to be new money for nursing. And I think that's where you're going with this. And you guys correct me if I'm wrong. You know, Jeremy, I think you're, you're hitting it. I, I do think our next generation, and we're seeing this play, right? Like we knew that before the pandemic, 56% of new grads left the bedside within two years of practice. And right now, we believe up to 70% left the bedside within their first year of practice since the last year. They're not staying, right? This next generation is is not, they know they have other options, right? Like, I think uh, Sharon, I, our mom's generations grew up when really there was three options uh, in some situations that you would pick from to really try to advance a career. And now there's many more options for women largely, which is still 95% female in nursing. And I think that if you're looking at models, we know that it works very well. And, and one of the highest levels that we're talking to is more of the OTPT model, which is based on delivering care for 15-minute increments. You can go ahead and allocate dollars to support that kind of model. And the truth is, is, as you're speaking, that next generation, they're expecting to be treated with respect, with career advancement, with pay uh, that commensurates with the level of work that they're doing. Um, and I think they're much more in tune with understanding the financial realities of the world than we necessarily were ever taught to do. I think this next generation totally understands that. What I don't think they understand is that they're graduating with $200,000, $250,000 in undergrad debt and moving into a capitated payment model. Now, as long as nurses remain rolled into room rates, that means that every year they're going to be in a capitated payment model where they cap out earnings 20 years into their career. And now, if I, nobody told me that when I was in nursing school. Nobody told me that the most I could ever make as a nurse in Massachusetts, once I hit 20 years of experience, was $140,000 a year after 20 years of experience, right? That seems like a lot of money, but 20 years in of experience, I think if you're listening to this podcast, that is something that's questionable. And then we know states like North Carolina, that number is substantially less because of the hourly wage, right? So I think that what fundamentally, to your point, is either nursing is going to be a brand new model to keep those American nurses practicing, or nursing is going to become a model that we're going to bring in a whole bunch of nurses from foreign countries who are going to see that nursing is still financially a better option than being nurses in their country. And let me be very honest. I think nursing is one of the greatest economic vehicles for women's financial independence around the world. I am all for educating women and nursing across the world and having them travel the world. But the reality is, is that we must fundamentally look at this profession differently because this, to me, is something that is a public health emergency. This is a crisis. And right now, at least especially in the short term, for the next three to five years, there is no good solution to the shortages that we're having at the bedside. 
Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. I know that you're also working with other nursing organizations, right, Sharon? Yes, but I wanted to make a point to what Rebecca just said. If we don't deal with this, it's only going to get worse because what's happening within the healthcare organizations now, they are coming together, centralizing, which basically you have monopolies. I mean, right here in Raleigh, North Carolina, you know, it's just two big healthcare systems. So what do they do to nursing salaries? They keep them low. I mean, they've done right. the CRNA salaries too, right? Mm-hmm. That's why right. I finally went W two after I moved down here because they you mean ten ninety nine, but that's okay. Yes, yeah. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just so excited. Uh, I know you are. To, I can trying tell. To, trying to keep up with Rebecca. You even hear me talking fast. <laughs> I know you are. You're trying to speak faster, and I'm I like, no, hey, wait, wait a minute. It's making me tired. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a busy week, Sharon. It's been a busy week. We've been talking about a lot of these things. I think to your point, Jeremy, like this is going to take political pressure. But um, both Sharon and I actually sit very much on opposite sides of the aisle politically, but we are completely aligned on this issue. And I think that's the beauty of what we're talking about here, right? The reality is, is we recognize that without nursing, there is no healthcare. And if we cannot figure out a model that creates something as a financial viability, the truth is the only place that's going to continue to be hurt in this is going to be nurses and patients. And truthfully, so are our doctors. Let's be honest, a lot of the doctors that I'm talking to at this point in time, they're saying, where is my experienced nurse? No offense, my patients are coming out of surgeries, they're acquiring infections, they're going back in for more surgeries. My numbers are plummeting because the nurses on the Mm -hmm. floor don't have the experience that I need. They're carrying eight patients as opposed to four patients. We know that that is not something because nurses can't be in eight different places in the course uh, at the same time, right? So the reality is, is all of us are seeing this in healthcare. And what I think we've done a very poor job on is actually explaining what nurses do. In fact, that has probably been our biggest problem as a profession because they rolled us into room rates. Nobody ever bothered to capture the tasks or the value or the things that nurses are able to do, which is actually, did you know that nurses faster than any kind of technology pre-identify strokes in patients or changes of status, mental changes of status or physical changes of status? It is literally the nurse who manages to keep patients alive. As much as we think it's the technology, the truth is, is what we know is that without nurses, this technology does not keep patients alive. And I think what we've witnessed in the last five years is huge investments in technology that have actually made the lives of nurses worse. And what we we saw these system CEOs, CEOs investing millions, if not billions of dollars in technology, but not a single dollar in the nursing workforce. And what we've seen is the outcomes of those choices. And those choices have been to try to replace nurses with technology, and all of it is now collapsing. And I think fundamentally, we as a society have to ask ourselves what things can be replaced and what things can't. And in my honest opinion, I think it's playing out in healthcare right now today with the nursing population that we know that all of these new uh, machines that we've added are not saving patients' lives, but they have complicated a financial model that is drawn away from the ability to support that fundamental workforce that Sharon and I are fighting desperately to save. Hmm. Wow. So technology can't fix everything. That's what we're saying here. So um, now go back because, you know, you mentioned something earlier um, 
and you know, you went fast, Sharon went slow, tried to speed up, and then I kind of entered in the between. So, um, but but foreign country nurses, and you know, we had another guest on that, that talked about that. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, you know, and and not to degrade foreign nurses by any means, but I mean, is the training on par with what you get in the United States? Because, you know, I know that Lauren, my daughter, went through nursing school, and I swear to you, if I would have had to go into nursing school, I would have failed. I would have flunked out. There was no way I would have done what she did. Absolutely, positively, without a doubt, I'm telling you, I wouldn't have done it. So tell us about the types of nurses that we could potentially get from foreign countries. Well, Sharon, I mean, do you want to talk about the ninth? Yeah. Well, we know that they have to pass the the NCLEX. So they are, okay. They, okay. they are fine nurses. And I've worked alongside okay. lots of, of nurses. I think the question is this. Do we want to leave our care to other people outside of our country? Or do we want to take care of the nurses that we have already educated stateside? I mean, we need to okay. ta- we need to take care of our nurses that we already have who have all this experience. I mean, we know that nurses, they're over 50 years of age. That's half of them. I mean, do we just want to dump them? <laughs> no, we want to take care of the nurses that we have with the experience that they have here. And it, it says nothing about the nurses okay from yeah, i want to clarify that because you know i thought yeah. that maybe people listening yeah. would have thought that you know no. maybe we were saying that they weren't on par and that's no. why i wanted They're to clarify absolutely that absolutely no and jeremy i i have to tell you i mean both sharon and i we have worked across incredible ones but i think what we're saying is even those who are being brought in in all honesty are coming into contracts that are tying them into indentured servitude i spoke with one of the nurses and the attorney about these contracts with these nurses are coming in from overseas they're being locked into two-year contracts and when they quit because they are putting into forced to work 20 hour shifts they're being ratios of one to 64 when they quit these services are actually suing them for a hundred thousand dollars for breach of contract this was so disturbing to me that my own father who's an attorney i connected him with these uh this nurse and um this attorney out of uh florida who are fighting these cases megan kellum said she's been practicing 20 years on human trafficking cases she's never seen anything so bad by what's going in on the current state of foreign nurses coming in this country i will make sure that they come in and have a conversation on your podcast because as I right. want as many foreign nurses to come in this country as possible. But what we're doing to them is entering them into actual indentured servitude contracts that are just taking advantage of this foreign workforce. So we need safeguards in place for that. But also, not only they are coming and they're not even staying at the bedside. Things are so bad, even in the capitated payment model, they're not staying and practicing because things are so unsafe in that situation. So I think one thing, too, Jeremy, that we must focus on is really what would happen to our society in the United States if we didn't have nurses? Like nurses, to me, are those people that are your neighbors and your friends that when all the cards are down, all the chips are gone, everything's going wrong in your life. It is the nurse who's going to be there, right? Like I look yeah. at my neighbors, my friends that are nurses, but what would we become as a society if we no longer train people to care about others, right? Besides nursing and teaching, tell me what other profession is out there that you put everybody else first besides yourself. And so, I mean, we could totally outsource this, but I wonder what would become the fabric of our society if we stopped mm-hmm. investing in nursing in this country, because right now it's the largest profession. We graduate more nurses today than any other profession in the United States, 250,000 a year. We just don't wow. keep them. We just don't keep them. 
So the reality is, Jeremy, is we can, I, I think we're going to need as many nurses from other countries as possible. We got to make sure we're not bringing them in for indentured servitude. But more importantly, we got to look at this from what would society become if we did not make sure that people want to be nurses? Like Sharon and I are doing this because we want every young man and young woman who is graduating from high school, who wants to get into healthcare to think, what should I become? We want them to say, first and foremost, what I want to become is a nurse. Because when I become a nurse, I can lead the most transformational change in saving and impacting people's lives in a positive way than any other profession out there. So that's why we're fighting this. We're fighting it to correct the wrongs of history that basically took away women's empowerment. We're doing this to try to create a financial model so hospitals can actually create, uh, realign this you know, cost versus revenue structure so that they're going to be successful. But more importantly, we're doing this because we know that the only thing that really impacts better outcomes for patients is one thing, and that is nursing care. That is 100% irrefutable that it is nursing care that leads to outcomes when patients are in hospitals, not medications, not anything else. It's a hundred percent nurses. Wow. So who all is involved in the commission? Let's talk a little bit about the commission and, and who's involved. And I know you have other nursing organizations and, and if our listeners want to be involved, what can they do as well? So we have a pretty um, cool board, but Sharon, do you want to do you want to jump in first about where they can be involved, and then I'll talk and, and talk about some of the people that you introduced to the commission, and then I'll I'll wrap it up with some of the others. Sure. Well, one of the things you can do, we have a website, the Commission for Nurse Reimbursement, and you can go to this website and sign up for email updates. Okay, um, that's the first thing that you can do. So, Rebecca, why don't you talk about some of the commissioners? Yes. So we put together a pretty diverse, not just 100% nursing um, commissioners on the board, but I think one of the biggest ones that we're really proud of is Bethany Hall-Lung, who is obviously uh, the um, lieutenant governor of Delaware right now who joined as a commissioner because she recognizes the value that nurses play in healthcare and needing to get them a reimbursement model. But we have three chief nurse executives, um, one from uh, Paul Coyne, who's um, from the Hospital for Special Surgery, Dr. Karen Grimley, who is the chief nurse executive at UCLA. Um, and we have Brian Wyrick, who is the chief nurse informatics officer of all uh, Banner Healthcare, right? Those guys are our experts on the healthcare side saying we need to correct this. We also brought in some people who have economist backgrounds. John Welton, who really is the historian on this entire work. He's been fighting for years for this. Olga Yakushova out of University of Michigan, one of only two economists who actually study the impact that nurses have um, on healthcare economics. Matt McHugh out of University of Pennsylvania. Um, these guys are well-renowned in this. And we just recently added Rob Longyear, who is a data scientist trained as a nurse, but became a data scientist who's worked with the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, saying this is the only way forward to actually figure out a model to be sustainable. Then we brought in some industry experts, PK Sherrill, who is a nurse, um, along with Ajay Gupta, who's the chairman of the board of a hospital out of uh, Maryland, Jaleel Johnson, who also is a nurse but ran the largest Facebook group for nurses in the country, and Stephen Day, who oversees Heartland Clinics of America, um, to actually manage uh, some of this things because he has been very physician focused in recognizing that physicians and his clinics are not going to be successful unless we figure out models for nursing. So we went after a really diverse program of commissioners who wanted to tackle these problems um, in a meaningful way. And luckily for us, one of our nurses stepped forward, Amy Rose Taylor, who signed on to be the executive director, who has a background in the payer space to really help us navigate how we're going to go forward and, and message this externally to the, the important partners in the, in the country. 
we're going to need people to get involved with us on this. So whenever you go in and you set up your email uh, for updates, we if if you want to be helpful, because eventually we see this as having key stakeholders within each state going forward, people who will help us. We just need to make this grow. We are just a little snowball and we are going to be an avalanche before this is over with, with everybody's help. And Jeremy, uh, we are going to be having a meeting. It looks like May 22nd will be the first meeting for all of these nurses. We've had over, um, I think, a thousand uh, people already sign up on the website since we've launched to gain more information. Um, We're putting together a federal level, a state level committees. Um, We're putting together coalitions for the chief nursing executives to sign on, also other nursing associations. We just hope to be the spear of this arrow that basically, as Sharon said, you know, it's a ripple tide. It's the spark that lights the fire to change the history the future of the nurses coming ahead of us. Well, and Rebecca, I was going to say, I would think that all nursing organizations should be part of this. I mean, you know, from CRNAs to NPs, everybody should want this because a rising tide floats all boats, right? So if we have listeners out there that want to be involved, um, obviously we know you can contact Sharon directly. She gives out her number like candy. So probably everybody has it. Um, and Rebecca, I think everybody knows how to get in touch with you as well. If not, we can put that in the show notes as well or go to the website. Again, guys, as we kind of wrap up here, is there anything, I'll go to you first, Sharon, since I'm going to close us because I'm kind of interviewing you two today. Yes. Anything you want to say, Sharon, as we wrap up today? Well, You know, I think Rebecca pretty much has covered it all um, in three minutes or less. (laughs) But this this is critical for nursing going forward. Nursing is in crisis, and we have got to figure out how to fix this and to make nursing more attractive. And indentured servitude hasn't worked for us for the last hundred years. Um, The patriarchal medical model has not worked for us for the last hundred years. We've already talked about these millennials are not just, they're just not going to put up with it the way that, that I did whenever I first stepped into the nursing space 38 years ago. They're not going to do it. So we, this is a critical issue that we have got to deal with. And we may not have the answers right now. Um, Rebecca and I are both the same kind of people. We uh, make a plane as we're needing it and that's what we're doing and just having the conversations and we know by involving many many stakeholders we'll eventually find the right answer I don't know it she doesn't know it but we're both connectors and we have all these people around us and together we will find the answer and you know why we'll find the answer Jeremy because we have to Mm, like it I like it all right, so now, Rebecca, let's speed it up a little bit and, and, and you talk and tell us, you know, your closing thoughts because, Sharon, I thought that was very well put and you're right. I have no doubt that between you two, you will find the answer. And it's probably not going to be the answer that you're even thinking about right now. It's going to be a bigger, better answer. Rebecca? Well, Jeremy, we know that uh, billing for services has worked for every other healthcare professional. There is never a question or a doubt. We need more OTs, PTs, respiratory therapists. There's always money to find them because they can bill for their services. What we've always had is a problem to fund more nursing services. So fundamentally, I think from a we know that if it's worked for every other healthcare professional, we think the same model probably can work for us too, right? And the truth is, 
what we're going to have to do is what we need is the public support. We need every nurse out there saying it's time that we're able to bill for our services because the truth is we offer value. We are not something that is simply a cost or a commodity or a cog in the wheel. We know that without nurses, patients die. Fundamentally, Sharon and I are fighting for the future of our profession. And the truth is we're risking our careers, our reputations, and everything that we've worked so hard for to the state because we know that everything else that's going to happen to try to save the nursing workforce are just minor things that will never truly address what's going on. As one of our advisors told us, who is very close to Medicare and Medicaid, they basically said, if you change the reimbursement model, you're going to save nursing. If we don't, everybody knows the writing's on the wall. So I'm asking for everybody's help here. Please support this initiative, sign up on our website, and more importantly, Start writing to all of your state legislatures because you know what? The one place that they're talking about capping salaries is nursing salaries. It's almost like we're going back 100 years where they put us into the room rates. Now they have Congress talking about capping nursing salaries, which I just can't imagine that we're going to relive history again, that we're going to allow them to sit there and say the answer to the entire nursing shortage is to further cap our salaries. They already did that. They already did that 100 years ago by putting us a cost structure. So let's actually do something smart. Let's change the reimbursement model. Let's save the nursing profession. And let's fundamentally fix healthcare so that when people deliver care and walk into our systems, they know they're going to come out in better shape than when they entered because there was a nurse there. I'm in, Rebecca. Uh, I mean, 100% on board. You got my vote. When are you running for president? When are you going for office? Because you are you're in the zone. I see it. It's in you. We got to get her to run somewhere, Sharon. This is it. This is it. When Sharon runs, I run. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think uh, amazing work you guys are doing. And, and obviously, this is a labor of love. I mean, you're not getting anything in return for this. You're doing this to to help the nursing community as a whole. So I personally want to thank both of you for what you're doing. Um, you both spend a lot of time and an ordinate amount of effort in endeavors that better the whole community. And so we just want to say thank you to both of you for that. So Sharon, I think it's a wrap. I think so. Close us up. I mean, you're in no, control. Come on, you got this. I, hey, I was closing all weekend in Washington, <laughs> D.C. without you there. You were closing without me. I apologize for that. But, you know, hey. All right. Well, Sharon, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. And Sharon, if they like our show, what can they do to help us, help us grow, or maybe get some more interesting people on the show like Rebecca? Tell them how they can help us out a little bit. Absolutely. Best way to help us grow is to leave us a review, but make it positive. Because <laughs> <laughs> we know there's enough negativity in this world, right? Absolutely. Tell all your friends, share us on social media. Um, if you know someone with a great story with something they're doing, just reach out to me or Jeremy. We're in the top 50 medical podcast in the country on the way to number one. Just like we are in the CRNA community currently. We're number one podcast for CRNAs out there. And we want to continue to grow that. And bringing great stories like what you and Rebecca are doing will definitely help us do that. Um, and it helps raise awareness for everybody. And that's really what we're about. So. All right. Until next time. It's a wrap.
As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.